0: my initial thought was that if they hear the story, they buy into our point of view, then product curiosity will naturally follow. And it has to some extent, but certainly not to the level I would like for it to. And so I think I need to pull the pendulum back a little bit and focus on some more of this more practical product marketing pieces. Yeah. So I think that's been kind of interesting when you're building a category, you have to spend so much time telling that story but you have to really make it tie back to what you're selling in a way that is more natural for this new category. And that's kind of complicated in a way I did not fully anticipate when we started this. If
1: you're at an early stage or growth stage VC-backed startup, you're in the right place. Season one and two, I brought on startup founders, marketing and sales leaders to explore brand demand, what approaches work well, challenges and category design. For season three, we're going deep into messy creative experiments, marketing innovation, pushing boundaries, how to make creativity achievable at a growing startup, why it's so important today, balancing creativity with results, and how to sell the CEO on the creative stuff. I'll also talk to creatives like artists and writers to understand their approach to creativity and what we can learn and apply to marketing at our startups. See you inside. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Modern Startup Marketing Podcast. We are going deeper and deeper into creative this season for season three creative marketing experiments, innovation, pushing boundaries, how to think about creativity at our growing startups. I think that's been something that's More and more, it's on my mind. And so I wanted to explore that in season three. And today I brought on Jen Deering Davis, brought her on the show. She is a co founder and head of marketing at Gradient Works. I actually heard you on the Stacking Growth podcast with Cassidy Shield, who I'm a big fan of. And I've always got my eye out for innovative early stage startups. So I knew I had to get you on because some of the topics you talked about really resonated with me. So, welcome, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, awesome. Like right before we started chatting and I pressed record, I was telling you how I had a conversation with somebody else and they're like podcasting. It's almost like the listeners feel like they're eavesdropping on somebody's conversation. And I love that. I think that is so true. And some a guest that I had that I recorded with yesterday actually said that. So I'm going to use that now. So let like me tell it. you more about yeah, let me tell you more about Jen. So previously, you co founded Union Metrics, which is a social media analytics startup that was acquired in 2018 by TrendKite. And then TrendKite was acquired by Sisian, which is a global media intelligence company. Wow, that's a lot of acquisitions going on <laughs> that you're a yeah, part of, right?
0: It was a lot. And then Sisian yeah. got acquired by a private equity firm a little bit later, too. So it was three acquisitions in about 18 months. It was a whirlwind.
1: Oh world my one. gosh, <laughs> that's crazy. All right. You've also got a Ph.D. in organizational communication and technology, and you're good at turning technical concepts into stories to help people understand each other. Like you boiled it down to this to explain what you're really good at. So I really like that. Let me tell folks about Gradient Works. Founded in 2020, 20 people, funding $2 million total seed funding. And the description of Gradient Works is right rep, right account, right time, dynamic sales book management software. So, helping sales manage their territories. But one of the things that I'm going to love about our conversation is we're going to talk a little bit about the category designing that you've been working on since you co founded the company that you've been kind of working on and shaping this category from an early stage which i find fascinating because i'm always thinking like how early is too early to think about designing a category and turns out it's never too soon to think never about that never yeah. too soon so welcome and i think it's we should dive right into it i want to talk about creativity i want to talk about making creativity achievable at a growing startup so let's chat first about creativity. I think it's a little bit misunderstood. I'm talking to folks on the show and asking them, what does it mean to them? So what does creative mean to you?
0: I love that we start with this question too. When I was looking at the notes you sent over before we started talking, I, I was like, should I write down a definition? Should I look this up first? Or So I'm gonna just go and, and tell you how I, I think about it. So for me, being creative means finding new ways to approach ideas given the constraints of the environment that we're in and whatever that may be it means not being stuck in boxes not sticking to the tried and true but really getting out there and i associate a lot of times creativity with experimentation so for me those words are really closely entwined
1: Intertwined. Intertwined. Yeah. And I like how like this is the first time that somebody actually called out the constraints of the environment that we're in. And one of the things that happens when you do have constraints versus when you don't have constraints and you're kind of like, okay, this guy's, you know, I have all this budget and I have all these resources is you don't get as creative. So I think that's the cool thing about like all startups start with very lean teams, not a lot of budget, and you have a lot of constraints, but there are so much cool stuff you can do with that because you got to think about making connections in these new, unique ways of how to grow your company, even though you don't have all the the resources of a larger company.
0: Mm -hmm. I really think creativity flourishes under constraint. In fact, without constraint, I'm not sure if true creativity is even possible, but that's maybe something I'm not prepared to defend entirely. But I've always seen them as really closely connected. That we're at our most creative when we're forced to work under some kind of constraints, right? So
1: totally, and we're always working under constraints. Marketing, yeah. no is, matter what they
0: are, there's always something. Yeah,
1: like you have to prioritize because you just can't do everything. So mm-hmm. yeah, hopefully creativity is just flourishing. We'll talk about how it's flourishing at Gradient Works. So tell me more about Gradient Works and some of your like creative approaches, creative experiments that you, maybe one or two that you can talk about?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to talk about those. The thing with Gradient Works is we are early stage, which is, is cool. And that does, like you say, mean you need to be lean and creative in a lot of other ways. But we also compete or participate in a very crowded sales technology market we're not directly competitive with a lot of the existing sales technology. In fact, our direct competitors are pretty few, but there are a lot of other companies in sales tech, right? I mean, we could name hundreds of them right here if we wanted. And so one of the things that that's forced us to do is as a newer player in sales technology is is think about how can we stand out. And so that's forced us to be creative from day one, right? Is you can't just say the same thing you're talking to, a saturated audience right one of the early things we were thinking about was how can we use seo to our advantage so before we ever had a product before we hired anyone it was just my co-founder and me we started doing a bunch of content we started a blog and a newsletter we did some some early podcasting youtube videos you know stuff like that we just tried a bunch of stuff And so this was, again, I mean, we didn't have a product to sell yet. We just had kind of an idea and we thought, you know what, let's start building the audience as we develop the concept. And so for us, I think that was a pretty, it's been hugely essential to our growth at this stage too, because now, you know, we get 10, 20,000 inbound visitors from SEO efforts. And, you know, our product's really only been live like a year. So that early work was really a good example, I think, of how we, We did that. We tested a lot of concepts and ideas by floating them out to this audience that we developed early on. So that was really useful for us.
1: Tell me more about the SEO efforts because you started, like you said, it's really cool. You started before you even had a product. What did you do? What did you write? Like what kind of articles were you writing? What kind of insights were you finding from your SEO, maybe keyword research or otherwise?
0: Yeah. So it was very much like kind of, foundational SEO work you know i did keyword research i analyzed our competitor our early competitors websites or not even competitors but other companies that we knew were kind of in the same space where we would eventually be a good example of that is a company like clary they do revenue intelligence and forecasting kind of stuff way up market very expensive well it can be very expensive and we weren't competing with them and we still really aren't, but we're in that same area. And so I was looking at the sorts of things they had done and using that as, as kind of places to start for keywords, but trying not to stick too closely to, okay, here's an exact term I want. So let me write this SEO optimized. I guess it's kind of redundant, this search engine optimized blog post, you know, for this term. It was more here are the concepts people are talking about. We think we have a point of view that is maybe a little bit different about this. So let's write about that and kind of see what happens. And so it was a lot of that, again, very experimental, which I think is part of the creative aspect of that was that we, we saw, you know, a company like Clary, a company like Anaplan, Chili Piper, some of these others in adjacent spaces, were talking about these concepts. And so how can we kind of use that and go from there? So, you know, we were in keyword tools like Moz and different Google search console and stuff, but most of it was just taking those concepts and then figuring out, is there something that we want to say about it? So not really a keyword, you know, engine on the blog, but mostly using those as kind of seeds for potential concepts that we then fleshed out in the content.
1: Anything else that you think of as like a creative approach?
0: <sighs> something that is particularly interesting too. I'm trying to come up with some besides just, you know, We try a lot of things. We see what works. Yeah.
1: You said podcasting. You said YouTube videos. And like maybe now that you've had a product, what are you diving more into since you Mm -hmm. like were testing and experimenting before?
0: We are doing a lot more earned media and thought leadership kind of stuff. I wouldn't say that's particularly creative, but we try to take a creative approach to those things. I think for us, you know, maybe what I would talk about with another one of these is developing our point of view. While not a creative idea in itself, develop a point of view is kind of something we all need to do. I think the point of view we're developing has been really creative in the way that we're thinking about it. Again, because it's such a crowded space, we knew that we had to have an opinion about things. And the good thing is that we do have opinions about these things. That's why we're starting a company with them, with these on these ideas. So developing that point of view, making sure that it's strong and and unique and interesting as much as possible, and then getting it out there. While individually, each of those pieces aren't particularly creative, the whole process has been a super creative process where we've had to get, you know, spend big, long chunks of time batting ideas back and forth, testing a lot of different ways of positioning it and putting things out there and see what happens. So the whole process has been a very creative process in defining and and really uh, evolving our point of view.
1: So how does the team, like your co-founder together with your co-founder, how do you think about creativity? Like the stage that you're in, do you have like a consistent process of like, okay, we need to come together, think outside the box. Like, what are we going to do? That's, you know, we're going to try and experiment next quarter, you know, this quarter, what are we doing? What are some new ideas? Like, how do you, do you have a process around that?
0: I don't know if I'd go quite as far as call it a process, but we definitely try to build creativity into how we work. So if, for example, since we are so early and things are kind of evolving, we don't generally plan like marketing calendars much more than a few months in advance. And even three months out is kind of high level. But I can tell you, you know, for the next four to six weeks, here's what we're working on. We have this webinar scheduled here and this then, but it's on the marketing side of things. It's me and and one other person. And he handles a lot of our email, paid media, some of that kind of stuff, a lot of the demand pieces. And so we've set it up so that he runs at least one new experiment on one of our demand channels every month, usually many more. But, you know, we have kind of this baseline. A lot of that lately has been on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. So, for us, since a lot of our customers are on LinkedIn, trying to figure out how we can make that channel work a little better for us. And so, some of that is, you know, best practices and trying to understand that. But when those things don't really deliver the results you want, it's then like, okay, what can we try? Is it some weird video or what sort of like creative, like visual content do we need? Are there other messages we can try? You know, what audiences should we be targeting and how can we use that? So, we definitely, I mean, I guess that's kind of a process actually is is going in with this mindset of we have to try something new at least every month. But it ends up being almost once a week that those experiments go out, something new and and kind of seeing what lands because we're still in that phase of finding not just product market fit, but market message fit. And so I think that requires just a tremendous amount of experimentation.
1: Yeah, it's a challenging time, but it's also a really fun time. So When you said like when you try something, for example, your your demand channel like LinkedIn, you're doing paid and organic on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And it comes back and it's like not exactly what you want. That's when you're like, okay, what else can we try? What are some other ideas? And that kind of sets off this like experimentation and like trying to be more innovative with what you're doing in that channel. Mm -hmm. Any other channels that you kind of approach in that same
0: way? I think another easy one for us to talk about is email, specifically outbound prospecting email. So we have a small sales team with three people on it and that team sometimes will go on their own and write some of their own messaging and try some things. Sometimes we'll work together. So right now on the marketing side, we're writing some new copy for some outbound campaigns and we're going to try some new ideas because I mean not just us for everybody outbound is really hard right now i mean it's always hard like the baseline for outbound prospecting is always really difficult but it's gotten harder you know the past few months it's harder to get attention it's harder for anyone to spend any money you know all these reasons that outbound is hard so we use the outbound email channel as another place to experiment a lot with messages from subject lines to the content What kinds of media do we include? What's the CTA? What's the ask? Even stuff as simple as, is it a link or is it a button in the email? You know, like a text link or a button. Those two, that seems simple, but sometimes you get some interesting results from that. They're not always what you expect. Totally. So that's another channel where we can iterate really quickly too. You can roll out new messages pretty regularly, especially if you segment them by audience or campaign, you know, something like that. So
1: yeah, yeah. Talking more about you and like what you're good at. So turning technical concepts into stories to help people understand each other. Like, how do you approach this? What's your advice to folks that are maybe working in more technical arena, but you still need to be human about it and connect to people so that, and help people understand things right in a simple way? How do you approach this? How have you gotten better at this over time?
0: Yeah, I love the way you even phrased that question, because you, you have to connect with people. And I think that's kind of the crux of it right there. Over time, I have gotten a lot better at storytelling in a couple ways. And I think these are important things to think about is, number one, knowing your audience. And we always say that, I mean, I used to, many, many moons ago, I taught, when I was working my PhD, I taught public speaking at the University of Texas. That was like part of my grad teaching assistant job. And in public speaking, one of the first things you teach the speakers how to do is to analyze their audience, right? So that you know who you're speaking to and how you can better connect with them. And you always think about that with public speaking because you want to physically almost connect with the people in the room. But it's so important for the work that we do to do that same kind of analysis. And so I think understanding your audience and knowing that sometimes you are not your own audience. And so that can be hard for us to separate, especially when you're selling to someone who maybe is in a similar field to you. Like for me, you know, my background is in marketing and communications and I'm selling to sales leadership and revenue operations. Those are close, but they're not the same. And so I have to remind myself that I'm not selling to me, I'm selling to someone. And so the best way to do that is to talk to them, right? So... We do tons of customer and prospect calls, of course. My co founder, our CEO, talks to people in the industry all the time. And so, one of the things I do a lot of is listening to all of our like Zoom library, you know, for all these different calls that we have to understand how our customers talk about their challenges and what they're doing. So, kind of an obsessive focus on the audience is, is part of it. And then knowing that you are not your audience, that's the audience piece. And then the other part is just practice. I think about how many words, for example, I've written in my life. It's probably in the millions. Part of that is like the dissertation, right? There's a lot of words just right there in that one thing. (laughs) That's true. But, um, you know, every day I write. It's a blog post. It's emails. It's comments on a Reddit thread. Like, whatever it is, you know, I'm constantly writing. And the more you do that, the better you get at it. So whatever your storytelling medium is, like podcasting, right? I bet you're much better at the hosting gig now than you were, you know, at the beginning of season one right? You get better at this by practicing your craft. And so that's just part of what I do. And of course, I read a lot, which is, I think, another component of sort of understanding my audience, but also understanding how to write better is by reading people who are already good writers. So for me, storytelling comes down to some of those pieces is, is understanding who I'm talking to, making sure that I have sort of the technical skills to deliver that message, and then the point of view stuff that we've already talked about, like What story am I trying to tell? What is unique or interesting or compelling about that story? And how can I kind of highlight that and then bringing all of those pieces together?
1: Yeah. One of the things that I find when I work with early stage startups is there's always this like focus on the product, focus on our company, focus on the features, focus on. And there's never enough focus on the challenges and the problems. And like, I wish... 75% 75% of meetings focused on the challenge and the problems and how they talk about it and words they're using versus mm-hmm. versus most meetings. We're talking about the product and what we're building and it's like the features and the product and like they're going to be able to use this and it's they're going to be so happy and it's going to be amazing. But like we need to stop having the meetings focus on that, I think, and spend more time. Which to some might be like, that's a waste. We get it. We understand. But when you listen, when you practice listening to people talking about challenges and do it over and over, you just get so much better at then talking about that problem, which you should be doing more of anyways, right? In your podcasts and in your emails and on social media and like everywhere to have more of that focus there so just kind of like an aside that you made Mm -hmm. me think
0: of that absolutely and it's interesting because when we started this company my background is in marketing and communications like I said I have done another startup before so I have quite a bit of operational experience kind of across the board but that's where my expertise is my co-founders started as a software developer and then moved into CEO and After that set of acquisitions that landed us in executive roles at Cision, he was head of revenue operations. So our expertise is definitely kind of diverse, but neither, well, most startups, I think, don't start with a founder with a marketing background. And Mm -hmm. so that has been kind of interesting for us to realize is is sort of a superpower of ours at the moment, because most startups have maybe a technical co-founder and then a business guy. And they're often guys. So I use that word deliberately, or (laughs) someone with subject matter expertise and then the head of engineering, something like this. And so for us to start with someone with this background in marketing, I think it has made us think more about, well, especially because we started marketing before we even had a product. So I didn't know what we were selling. I couldn't sell features because I literally did not know what they were. So to the point where we're almost, It is almost backwards, right? We talk a lot more about the category and the problem than we do the product. Maybe to our detriment, actually, which we could talk about, too. But this is all kind of rambly. But I do think there's something to this that it does seem sort of inverted from how we often think about it and how I've thought about it at other companies, even. This is kind of unique to us at this moment right now, the way we think about these things. So Yeah.
1: Yeah, and you could only do that since you're co-founder, right? And you're like, okay, we're building it. I know we're building it. What am I going to spend my time on right now? And I think that's Mm -hmm. how you, because listening to the episode with Cassidy, that's sort of what you were doing. You're like, okay, I can write blog articles. Great. We can talk about what's happening in the space. We can talk about challenges and the category. Mm -hmm. So you just said, to our detriment. Can you talk about that more? Yeah,
0: because I think this is kind of interesting, and this is something... That's come up some recently. So yesterday I was, I did a call with a former colleague who now works at a new startup and they're thinking about category creation. So I sat down with their marketing team and and their leadership to talk through how we thought about it to start. And in that call, one of the questions they asked me was, So what mistakes have you made and how can we avoid those? And I was like, that is a great question. And I wish I had better answers. But as we talked through it, I realized there's been a whole bunch of them. (laughs) So one of those is this, this exact thing that we launched kind of this new version of the product, big splashy, you know, launch last September. And as part of that was where we sort of unveiled the category, which I hate kind of talking about it like that. It was more, this product is this thing that we're calling dynamic books, but here's how this is going to relate to what you already know. So it was kind of a category unveiling. And I spent, you know, the two months leading up to that, preparing all of this work to help describe like what the heck is dynamic book management? why is this important? What challenges is it addressing? Stuff like that. And then all of Q4 reiterating that messaging, right? So it's just dynamic books, dynamic books, dynamic books. And then we realized as we're kind of looking at stuff that we have maybe over-indexed on category education to the detriment of some of the more practical implementation-related product marketing Because everybody, you know, people come to our site or they engage with our content and they're like, sure, I get this. I buy this idea, or they don't, but they're like on board with the concept. And so, my initial thought was that if they hear the story, they buy into our point of view, then product curiosity will naturally follow. And it has to some extent, but certainly not to the level I would like for it to. And so, I think I need to pull the pendulum back a little bit and focus on some more of this, like, more practical product marketing. Product marketing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think that's been kind of interesting when you're building a category, you have to spend so much time telling that story, but you have to really make it tie back to what you're selling in a way that is more natural for this new category. And that's kind of complicated in a way I did not fully anticipate when we started this. So I'm going to be spending the next quarter thinking this you know this quarter current quarter thinking about how do we tie those things to these more practical like okay so here are the features and here's how they're going to work right But helping people understand how then the product can deliver on this category point of view that we've been selling and talking about so it's been very interesting but yeah i think we swung a little too far in the category and a little too far away from the product there for a little bit
1: hey it's anna the host of modern startup marketing the show that you're listening to I'm also the founder of Firminov Marketing Consulting. People call me the Marie Kondo of startup marketing because I help early-stage startups clean up their marketing mess with the right strategy and execute with laser focus. So whenever you're ready, there are three ways I can help. One, as a fractional startup CMO, I've had over 25 happy clients and mentees. Two, you can sign up to get my monthly newsletter where I'm sharing playbooks and insights and maybe cracking some jokes. And three, you can sponsor this top 10% podcast and get startup founders, marketers, and VCs hearing about your brand. And now, back to this episode. I guess balance is key for everything, right? Mm -hmm. Especially when you're early stage and you've, again, you've got to prioritize. You can't do everything. So the messaging you put out there needs to be like a balance, it sounds like. And
0: okay. Okay. And it's, you know, it's hard when you're early stage because you don't know... You don't have benchmarks that are really reliable for things like how many inbounds should we be getting? What's our conversion rate from, you know, an inbound to a sales accepted opportunity? You just kind of guess at what you think they should be, but you're not there yet. You're too early. You don't have these reliable pipelines. And so it can take a little time to see where maybe you've got to move from one thing to another thing or try out a new idea. This is all part of that creative experimentation we talked about too, right? Like this is what you do but it's it's interesting to see how it plays out,
1: absolutely. ok. Can we talk about the category design bit for yeah. a second because we talked about how you did it and what you learned from doing, like the dynamic books and how you over indexed on the category education versus product marketing, more practical stuff. But, like, you're a seed stage startup. You've been working on designing your category from the very beginning. Why did you decide that you needed to do this? How did you decide? And where did you begin?
0: I love. How this question gets at the root of like, how do you do this? Because I think this is important. So, we did not set out to design or create a new category at all. In fact, early on, we thought we were probably competing in one of these categories that already exist. And sales tech is one of those areas that's still kind of evolving too. You know, you have some well established categories like let's say sales engagement software, like outreach, sales loft, the tools that salespeople use to interact with prospects. And that's a pretty established category and we get it, but a lot of the stuff on the intelligence and automation side is still sort of evolving. And so we were like, it's probably somewhere in the sales acceleration space or RevOps intelligence or something. And so we didn't really worry about what category it was much, especially because our initial solution was pretty clearly lead routing and that exists and we could work with that. But as we started to kind of build out the product some more and do a lot of customer development, we started to see that it's it's more than lead routing, of course, but it isn't quite one of these other categories. And so we used a couple of different tools to help us sort of figure out what it was and where it fit. And so the first of those is the blue ocean strategy. Have you ever heard of this? Yes. Where you're really understanding kind of a competitive landscape where you know the different elements or characteristics of different products and kind of where you fit and and kind of finding your space. And so as we did that we identified these characteristics that we either wanted or already had that would be different from some existing things and then started to really flesh that out and understand okay actually we think this is a little bit of white space here. It's not a huge area yet but that's kind of what you want. It's like this little space in between these existing categories that you can kind of get your way in there. And then as you grow, if you're successful, you can kind of expand that. And then you start to own this space that gets bigger and bigger. And so Blue Ocean helped us kind of think through some of those early criteria or characteristics. And then, of course, we use the Play Bigger book as the category design kind of framework. Of course. Yes. And that is good both for investors because they love to see those things, right? They like to know you have an established framework that is a book they've all read and they all know, but it also works for us just practically because it's pretty useful in terms of helping you kind of think through, especially in the the conceptualization phase of what is your point of view because they talk a lot about point of view and how it fits. And so those were two of the tools that we used to get started. And it was a lot of back and forth. It was a lot of iteration. It was you know the leadership team going to an offsite for two days and really talking through like what do we know, what do we want whiteboarding and, you know, brainstorming till we kind of got it to where it was.
1: I wanted to just point that out that this takes time. You just Mm -hmm. mentioned leadership offsite, two days, talking it out. What do we know? What do we want? Mm -hmm. Like, there's time commitment that goes into this.
0: Yeah, you can't just do this overnight. You can't just do it
1: and like, let's have a meeting for an hour and then do it. No, it's like a series of steps. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So... Just wanted to call that out that it's like, yeah, it's there's important. a lot of back and you're forth. You're absolutely right. Yeah, and that leadership is those are the people that definitely need to make the decisions on yes. this. It's like this is one of those things where you can't just like invite the whole team and everybody talks it out because then it'll never work and it'll yeah. never come to a finale.
0: Even when you're small, like we are, yeah. yeah. But you know, we had our head of product who spends a ton of time with customers, understanding how they use it and what else they need. We had our head of sales who talks to prospects all the time you know we had our head of customer success who deals with customers trying to make this work and so it's like all of those pieces need to come together with marketing and your ceo to make sure that all those different voices are represented and heard and are part of the conversation that also helps with buy-in and stuff down the road to you know having those areas involved
1: so dynamic books is where you landed dynamic book management right yep. How's it going? Like, How do you know you're on the right track? What has been the impact? You've kind of talked about the fact that you've over-indexed a little bit more on the category design, category education. Yeah. But how's it going overall?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's going great. So you asked, how do you know how it's going? Or some version of that. And I think that's a great question because you want to you can't just trust that you're like, this is a cool idea. Everybody's going to love it, right? You need some validation that the people are responding. And so we look at stuff like, I mean, engagement with our content on social, inbound downloads of content, stuff like that, because we do a lot of gated content. Maybe that makes me old school, but I still like it for now because that tells me 30 people download this thing, but only two people download this thing, that this thing is either in better channels so people can find it more easily, or it's just a better concept and you can figure those things out. So looking at engagement with the, the ideas that we have has been big, putting these ideas into practice, just in practical conversations. So talking to customers, demoing these ideas to prospects, stuff like that, and then getting a sense of their reaction. And it's pretty clear right away if something's Resonating with an audience when you're talking to them one-on-one, right? Either they're dead in the eyes and like yawning yeah. and not paying attention, Tall in or, the
1: eyes, right? <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> or they're like, "Oh my gosh, this is exactly what we've been looking for," and so we get a lot more of those that this is exactly what we're looking for. And these concepts, you know, we didn't just make them up, right? They're based on things we've seen work in sales organizations over the years and conversations with experts and all this stuff. So it makes sense that that people will buy into the concept, but it's you need that validation and that you can't just be like, oh, my gut says this is right. Yeah. so We look for stuff like that.
1: Let's talk about creativity. So from your point of view, do you think that early stage startups are creative from like your folks that you see, you know, because you're pretty active on, Mm -hmm. you know, networking with other founders, I'm sure co-founders and you're on social media and you're on podcasts, right? So How do you think startups are doing in general on the creative meter? Are startups experimenting enough? Are they pushing boundaries enough? Like, what are you seeing?
0: I think if you had asked me this question a year ago, my answer would have been very different than it is now. I think we are in an interesting time for startups because things have gotten a lot harder. A year ago, everybody had way too much money. Like, way like valuations were dumb investors were throwing money. And so you didn't have to be as creative because you didn't have those constraints. It's not to say that they weren't, but that I think now because the next round is probably further away than you originally thought, you have to be a lot more careful with your runway. Your valuation, you might have a hard time raising money the next round because you're, you know, overvalued now or or you're whatever it is that I think startups have become and will continue to have to be a lot more creative in the next year to kind of get through this and the ones who aren't won't make it right. And just because you're creative doesn't mean you're going to make it either. But I think the companies that thrive and ride this wave will be the ones that that find creative ways to attract new customers, to find revenue in new places, to, you know, all the things that we need to do. So I think creativity is becoming much, much more important right now. Then we just didn't need to be quite as creative a year ago because it was just a little easier. But I mean, this is wartime, right? That's the metaphor everybody's using, right? And you got to be creative. Is it?
1: People are calling it. This is. Wartime? Oh yeah, for sure. Oh my
0: gosh. Yeah, I mean, it's real, right? Yeah. Depending on when you raised your last round and how you're doing, revenue is slowing down for a lot of people. You know, they've had to cut teams or slow hiring, and not for everybody, but. For a lot of people, you know, it's a tough time. And for, you know, one of the things we see is a lot of our customers on the sales leadership side weren't in positions of leadership the last time we had a recession, you know, in 2008-ish. So this is their first time doing it, first time selling in a slower economic market. And and that's hard. So I think wartime is pretty accurate, actually. You know, everybody's just trying to survive.
1: yeah. Yeah. But like just trying to survive is not like what you just that's said good. is it's not the way to actually survive. Right. Like yes. now that we're under the constraints, it's absolutely the perfect time to get creative because that's what you need for creativity to flourish. Coming back Great. to the original mm-hmm. part of the conversation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a super important point. You can survive, which obviously you want to do, but ideally you would be thriving. You would be using this as an opportunity to. Like take big bets, do crazy things and kind of see what's working, because if you don't, you might not be here at the end of the year.
1: And I mean, you were even before you guys had a product, you were thinking you were very marketing, you know, focused and you were writing things and you were coming up with your you know, point of view and you were testing things out and kind of like seeing what hit. And that's what when we say be, get creative and get experimental, that's exactly what that means. You didn't even have a product. You didn't have customers you were just kind of dipping your toe in the water, right? And trying Mm -hmm. things out and getting on podcasts and getting on YouTube. So that really is what creative means to me, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So startups that are being experimental, that are being more innovative, that are being creative and like the ones that I've invited and I've talked to them and they're, I've got a list of like the ones I'm like, OK, this is really not just a department. It's an all company strategy. Mm-hmm. Does anyone come to mind for you? Like, who should we be? Which startups should we be watching in 2023 that are treating this, you know, creativity and experimentation? And it's not just like a department thing. Oh, you've, we've got like the creatives and they're sitting there like designing our website or whatever and that's the creativity stays there but it's an all-company strategy any mm-hmm.
0: startups that come to mind yeah i saw this question um when i was reviewing what we might talk about didn't immediately think of any but now that we've kind of gone through this conversation i can actually think of a lot so we did an accelerator last summer with stage two capital and there were maybe 12 startups, all approximately our stage, like seed stage, early stage. And it was a go to market accelerator, which was kind of neat, because we got to really dive into a lot of sales and marketing strategy, which, and hear from experts and work with coaches and all of this, which, you know, I've been in the field for a long time, I have more experience than some of the coaches we talked to, but I don't have their perspective. So it was a really cool opportunity to see what some other companies are trying and what they're doing and and who's got these new creative ideas. And so there were a bunch of companies in that cohort that were really trying new things, all really super early stage. And so I would say, go look at the stage two list of accelerator companies and look at some of those. But then there's a couple more that we work with or kind of run in similar circles with in the sales tech space that I think have been doing really cool things or trying a lot of things. And one of those is Quotapath and they do sales commission kind of software. They're sort of a a cousin company to us. We share some investors, but have been around a bit longer. I think they're at series B. And we've seen them grow though from very small to this. And I love the way they think about marketing and customer acquisition. They started doing these one-on-one consultations with sales reps about their commission plans. And just to get conversations, just to learn. And I thought that was a really cool, super unscalable, but really smart way when you were early stage. And they've continued to do those kinds of ideas. And I think unscalable is another way to think about these creative experiments that we're talking about is that you just go out there and try something. Don't worry about what it looks like if it works later, you know, and how you're going to scale it up and use it to get a thousand customers, but just worry about doing it now, do it as manual as you need to and kind of see what happens. And Quotopath has has done a good job with some of those things.
1: Yeah, unscalable is something that comes up in early stage conversations Mm -hmm. because, and we hear stories about how, you know, Airbnb, and that's kind of how they did. The founders went to people's homes and they took the photos and we hear Mm -hmm. the stories, but then we hear it also for early stage startups that do unscalable things. And I love hearing about that. Like there was a startup, that was on the show and they were doing crazy things where they, the police was even after they're like, you can't come back here guys. Cause you're at the post <laughs> office and they were doing some like quirky things there. So I love stories like that. That's creative. That's thinking outside mm-hmm. the box. That's not, you know, and it it's not necessarily what's been done before. And I think mm-hmm. that's exactly the, what hits on the creative side of things. Mm-hmm. When have you personally been the most creative? Like, can you think of a time when you were like, oh, yeah, that was Jen being super
0: creative? Like and really vibing, you- definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's an interesting question because you want to make room in your schedule, time to be creative, but the creative muses don't always hit you. And the, like, they don't always pay attention to your calendar, right? And so I think when I was in grad school and all I was doing was grad school and I could just take my time and think about things and no idea how good I had it at the time. Right. But you know, your brain gets time to be creative. And so I did some very creative work in graduate school, but more recently it looks a lot different. You know, I have a six year old daughter. And so since she's existed, your time is different. You can't always count on having that time to yourself. Like today is a great example. My daughter is home from school. Um, And you know, both my husband and I have a bunch of meetings on the calendar. And so we're just hoping she'll watch iPad as long as possible. She's not the one knocking on the door, right? It's just a cat. But (laughs) so more recently creative you kind of have to take creativity. I personally have to take creativity where I can find it. Like if some creative urge or thing strikes me, I have to, wherever it is, whatever it is, if it's just like taking notes on my phone when I'm waiting at school drop-off or I like get out of the shower and I quickly write something down because I had an idea. When I can get uninterrupted time, even if it's just a couple hours with no meetings, no kids at home, and I can just sit here and turn on my music and the sun is shining, then that's when I tend to be most creative. But unfortunately, it doesn't quite always work out like that. So it's another one of those things where constraints kind of force you into these situations where you just kind of have to grab it when you can get it. So yeah, someday, maybe I'll have uninterrupted time to myself again. It'd be amazing.
1: Oh, someday. But until then, these constraints will force me into being creative. <laughs> that's what I tell myself every night when I'm like, "Is it ten o'clock? The kids oh are in bed, and I have God. no strength."
0: <laughs> You're like, yeah, that's to the get seat.
1: creative.
0: Like, no, just get <laughs> to sleep, and it'll come to you.
1: Yeah, You know, totally. you get
0: the cabin in the woods, and you can just have a whole week to yourself, full of creative idea, and you can uh, write the novel. You know that. You can't wait for that, right? You have to find it where you can get it.
1: You can. Yeah, you have to find it. Yeah, yeah. So I I like to end the episode. It's been wonderful chatting with you about all things creativity and category design and sort of like what you're really good at and some approaches that you took with Gradient Works early stage and even before you even had a product. But I like to ask at the end, what question might you
0: have for me? I know, and this is where I love to hear like what you have heard from other other podcast guests and and the startups you talk to. So I was really curious, what's the best definition of creativity you've heard so far? And it couldn't even be your own, but how do you describe it? Like, where is it for you?
1: Oh, you know, I. <laughs> I've been recording and asking other people this, and I've been kind of like thinking through it, but not really finalizing anything. I also asked one of the episodes I'll be releasing is where my daughter, I ask her, what does creativity mean to you? And she answers that question. And she's nine. I did that actually when she was seven. I asked her, what is marketing? And she's like, it's hard work. (laughs) (laughs) That was really funny. So I asked her what creativity, which is much more down to earth, and she understands it and then got her answer. But I haven't done it from my side, which I'm going to put together for that episode. But I think creativity is, it's like a feeling that you get, like it's both a feeling and an output. So I think it's both, like there is something attached to something when you make it creative, And there's also a difference between being creative for its own sake and being creative for business purposes. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think that's why I wanted to dig into this idea of creativity and how to tie it into business and tie creativity to results, because that fascinates me. And I think creativity in business, like creative for creative sake, just gives you this feeling like you're it's like this. I don't know even how to explain it. You just like really feel good. Like you're something new and it's creating these new emotions. And you're like, yeah, I'm feeling good about this new thing that I'm creating. But creativity in business is it's got to be tied to results. And that's like the hard part for me because I paint and I do that. I try to do that quarterly and I've always had that side to me but then i'm also in, you know in marketing marketing is part science and, and part art so it has to tie back to the results but it's hard because like when you want to push boundaries and experiment and you're under these constraints you don't necessarily have freedom so what is creativity how can you be your most creative if you don't have necessarily like the freedom to do it based on like your enjoyment of something you're like, you really like it and you think it's gonna be so exciting and people are gonna love it and and it gives you that feeling, right? So I think that it's a complicated thing in business, creativity. But I do know that it needs to be tied to results. Otherwise, creativity in business is not really being creative.
0: I like that. I think you're right that it is different personally versus for business, and like being able to tap into that and harness creativity for business is Is different, but it's also a superpower when you can do it and and tie it to results, like you said.
1: Yeah. And I think like feeling is a big part of it, too. We don't really talk about that because it's sort of the soft side. But when you feel something from something creative that you see or that you experience, you get a feeling and the feeling could be like, wow, that's so cool and I got to share it or like some kind of positive Emotion comes from that. So, and that's why I think it's really helpful to be creative, to be one of those like more creative startups because you want because again, like marketing and sales is tied to the emotion versus the logical. And I think it's really helpful for people to understand how to use creativity to help the startup grow if they understand that concept, yeah, so absolutely. That's a good question. And I wasn't ready to talk about creativity. I'm kind of synthesizing my thoughts and ideas and like thinking about this concept, but that's what I gather now. And I hope that was helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Jen, thank you for joining me. This was such a pleasure to have you on the show. And I love bringing in early stage startups that have this you know, unique take on how to approach marketing and you're very marketing minded. And I knew I had to have you on the show and talk about category design plus creativity and all the cool things that you're doing at Gradient Works. So thank you for joining me.
0: Thank you so much for having me. This was fun.
1: Great. And if folks want to reach Jen, you can find her on LinkedIn, @jdeeringdavis Davis. And to find out more about Gradient Works, you can go to Gradient Works. You can go to Gradient. Works.
0: Yeah, gradientworks.com will get you there too. But oh, okay. Yep.
1: Okay, perfect. Well, thank you again, Jen.
0: Thank you very much.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Modern Startup Marketing. New episodes are dropping weekly, so make sure you're following wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me on LinkedIn, search for Anna Firmanov or go to my website, firmanoffmarketing.com. Thanks for listening.